Welcome to the Knowing God Podcast. The hope of this podcast is that it would help you to know the Word of God so that you may ultimately know God. I'm your host, Andrew Rutten. All right, well, this is the episode I'm sure you have all been waiting for. Let's talk baptism. All right, so I've told you the last couple times that I was going to take a whole episode and just talk through the debate on baptism from Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. So we've hit both those verses individually the last two episodes. Today, what I want to do is hit these verses specifically asking the question, how does this teach us who we should baptize? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the verses, and then I'm going to give you two main viewpoints. The first is uh, taking this passage to mean that we should baptize infants. Now, there's a lot of different denominations and parts of Christianity that kind of nuance this argument in different ways. I'm going to take the main view from the Reformed or kind of Presbyterian camp because that's the one I'm most familiar with. It's a good argument. And so I'm going to give you that argument on why we should baptize infants And then I'm going to let you know why, even though I understand that argument, I think this passage is more so speaking to baptizing only those who make genuine professions of faith in Jesus. Okay, so the idea of baptizing infants and then baptizing those who make professions of faith in Jesus first, meaning adults only. All right, so let me read the passage and we'll just lay out those two views. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, so let me sum up what I think the Pado-Baptist view is here. Now that word Pado-Baptist, Baptist is um, the view of baptism and Pado means child. So I'm going to give you kind of the argument from a Pado-Baptist, infant baptism kind of view. So to the best of my understanding, the idea here is that what Paul is doing in these two verses is connecting the Old Testament sign of circumcision with the New Testament sign of baptism. So that's why in verse 11, he's speaking about our circumcision, and immediately he transitions into the conversation about our baptism. So in essence, what he's doing is he's connecting these two signs, the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, the sign for God's people being in this relationship with God was circumcision. In the New Testament, it is baptism. So what they are trying to do is emphasize the continuity or the connection between the two. So this comes strongly in the grammatical and thematic connections between these two verses. Paul seamlessly moves from circumcision to our baptism, all being found now in Jesus. Now, one other point that was made in the few people I read on this is the idea that these passages speak of circumcision and baptism primarily as acts God does for us, not specifically on the basis of our decisions of faith in him. So we have been circumcised, we have been baptized by God in Christ. 
Now, one guy did mention that it does highlight our faith in the working of God, but he would say that's not the primary point of the passage. The primary point is our union with Christ based on the gracious work of God in our life. So, let me just cap here. The The main theme of this argument is that circumcision and baptism are uniquely tied both as the signs of the covenant, but also in who they should be given to. Just like a child in the Old Testament was circumcised as a sign that they were born into a family within the people of God and they received certain blessings from that, so too children today are baptized as infants if they are born into a family that is part of the people of God. And in the Old Testament, those children needed to grow up and place their faith in Jesus. And today, these children need to grow up and place their faith in Jesus. But that faith is not the basis for their baptism. God's work and grace in their life is the basis for their baptism. So you are set apart and circumcised by your baptism as a child as you enter into the people of God. Now, let me just say, if you are listening to this, you hold that view, and I have not done an accurate job explaining the argument, please reach out. You let me know. But to the best of my understanding and reading, that's how these two verses are primarily communicated, that the signs are being connected here, which means who should we baptize? We should baptize infants that are born into families that are part of the people of God. Okay. But that is not the view that I hold that I think these verses are teaching. So let me explain how I see these passages working together. Uh, my view is, is called believer's baptism or credo baptism, uh, basically meaning that we baptize people who make credible professions of faith. All right? So here's how I see these verses making sense. The circumcision that Paul talks about in verse 11 is not a physical one, but he says it's one made without hands. It's a spiritual circumcision of the heart. That's the circumcision of Christ, he says. So where paedo-baptists see this as a connection between circumcision and baptism, I actually see Paul saying this is a little bit different because under the old covenant, you are given the sign of being in the people of God by birth Because the primary way you enter into God's external people is by birth. However, the spiritual reality of our flesh needing to be removed from verse 11 carries us right into verse 12, where he says that is what is happening through baptism. It is the symbol of how we have been buried with Christ and raised to life with Christ. And how does all that happen? Well, he says, when it's when our faith is in the power of God. So contrary to the opposing argument, I believe this does actually point to faith as the point where all of this happens. And if that is what baptism symbolizes, our union with Christ, then when does that happen? Well, that happens after we place our faith in Christ, we're unified with him, and our baptism reveals that or is a sign pointing to that. Which brings me to one final point here. We need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of these signs? Well, I believe they are signs of a covenant. 
So when you enter into a formal relationship or a covenant with somebody, there was a sign done to show that you are in this covenant. Circumcision was the sign of the old, baptism the sign of the new. Now, the new covenant is described for us in Jeremiah 31, and it says, in this new covenant, your sins are forgiven, the law of God and the spirit of God are on your hearts, it's now in you, he takes out this heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh or this real living heart, and when does all that happen? Does that happen at birth or does that happen at rebirth? I think it happens at rebirth. We enter into the new covenant of God, not through our family line, but through rebirth by God's spirit and being made new by the power of the gospel. Therefore, when should you receive the new covenant sign? Well, I think it's when your faith is in the power and gospel of God. When that becomes real to you, when your old life is buried with Christ and when your new life is given to you in Christ, it's at that point that we should baptize people. Okay, so I tried to cover all of that within roughly 10 minutes. So I realize that's a flyover. Let me give you one more summary of the two arguments to end. The infant baptism view views this passage as teaching the continuity and the connection between circumcision and baptism. And that today we should still be baptizing those who are born into families that are a part of the people of God as a sign for them that they will then hopefully make real and come to faith someday. The believer baptism view says that Paul is pointing to something greater, the greater circumcision, the sign of baptism that should be given to those who have entered into the new covenant by their faith in Jesus Christ. So there's much more to be said. Hopefully that's at least a helpful primer. Uh, If you are interested in reading, learning, talking more about any of this, please reach out. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to recommend resources, but I hope this has been helpful as we look at the question, who should we baptize today? Friends, may God bless you and keep you. May he give you favor, grace, and peace.